630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. All right, so the story we have here, Canada now has a bronze medal in the men's 4x100 relay. It's the United States that gets disqualified. Uh, as I'm sure you can appreciate, and you're probably driving around in your car or, or listening on your computer or whatever, uh, I don't have the sound on the TV turned up while, I, while I'm on air. Um, it, I, I know there's a picture going around on social media of one of the American runners with his foot partially over the lane line into the Jamaican lane. But I'm also seeing stuff that, yes, uh, and David Amber with CBC saying it was a lane baton pass by the United States on the first exchange, not a lane violation. So they may have had a lane violation later on, but it didn't matter. They didn't uh, hand it off in the proper area that, that where, where you have to do the baton exchange. Now, I can also tell you there's a clear picture and clear video of... Uh, okay, so the USA first exchange was too late. It was out of the receiving zone. There also is a photo going around of a Japanese runner stepping on the white line which is why Canada got DQ'd in 2012, but that doesn't appear to be uh, a, a problem in, in this race. It's not always cut and dried in racing, as we also found out today in uh, the race walk, and we're going to talk about that and uh, some other Olympic stories with, with Tim Barrett, who joined us on the line now. Tim, welcome to Inside Sports. You're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Good. Thank you, Reed. I, I, I hope that was an adequate... Ex- You're a five-time Olympian, so I, I hope that was an adequate explanation of the lane violation and why, pretty, the, and why yeah, the U.S. Pretty much. It sounds like it was a, it was a uh, exchange zone violation with the U.S., and uh, there, was a, there was a lane violation by them at the end, but it was on the straightaway, and generally that doesn't result in a disqualification. So I haven't seen the Japanese one. Um, so if that's on a straightaway, it, it may not lead to anything. Okay, so that so Canada's in 2012 was on a turn, so they got it was booted on the up. turn, yeah. Okay, and so Which Japan obviously means you run a shorter distance. So okay, so on a straightaway, unless you actually jostle you're somebody in, in the way of the athlete in the next lane, which is what happened to the U.S. women in there, right? Um, semi-final, and then they got to rerun. Um, then generally, that doesn't result in disqualification. Okay, well, there's a there's a good explanation, Tim. Thank you so much for that. Uh, great to have you on the show. I mean, you're a name I I, I, I remember following in in several. I mean, I could I five Olympics. First of all, incredible. Yes. Good, good, uh, good. What was your last one? Was 08 your last one? Uh, 2008. Yeah. 2008 in, in Beijing yeah. was uh, your last one. So you did the uh, the 50k race walk five I times did in the Olympics. The 50k. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, before we get into the stuff today, how? Because Tim and we talked briefly this afternoon, and I'm sure you've heard it all. Yeah. What a funny-looking sport! Why don't they just oh, yeah. run the marathon if they want to race? How did you get into it? Um, it was just another event in track and field. It's kind of like like the way we put it. It's kind of like swimming, where you've got the uh, freestyle, which is like the running, and then you've got the breaststroke, which is a, a different way of getting from A to B, and little obviously different rules that apply and uh, it's just a different gate obviously that uh, results from that so 
just a, it's a different stroke, if you like it, in swimming terms. What what appealed to you about about it? Ah, uh, there's just a, uh, something you can work on the whole time. There's a lot of technique involved, obviously, uh, a lot of mental strategy, as we saw today, um, and obviously the endurance aspect as well, which is you know very similar to to running and any other endurance sport. But uh, there's a, there's a lot more to it than than just going out and lasting forever. <laughs> so the the actual technique. Uh, I mean, break it down for people. Is is that your your leg has to completely straighten while your foot is on the ground? Is that accurate? Yeah, That's you, your leg has to be straight at the point of contact of your front heel, and that has to stay straight until the that supporting leg is underneath your body, and then it can bend at the at the back part of the stride, basically. Um, and then the second rule, it, which is the one that people, if they know anything about the sport, and uh, is, is the one that they always cite, is the uh, there has to be unbroken visible contact with the ground, um, and it's judged always by the human eye. Or right now, that's that's what the rule states. So, so you can't go and look at a video camera after the fact and say, oh, he was running those three strides, oh, okay, um, or breaking stride. Um, it's it's always judged as it's seen um, by the judges as they pass. So similar to baseball with balls and strikes. Okay, fascinating stuff. B- because of the way that the stride is accomplished, are there uh, certain injury risks that are unique to race walkers? Generally, no. It's actually less injury prone than the equivalent of, of for a runner because you're you're your impact is that much less you're pounding on on the joints and things like that is not not that much less uh the only consistent injury that race walkers tend to get other than general tightness and uh, working on that through flexibility um to alleviate that is uh, is called compartment syndrome which is where your uh, muscles at the front of your shin tend to develop too much for the sheet that surrounds them Okay. And I knew quite a number of competitors that had to have an operation to basically, you know, put a slit in that uh, outside sheet around the muscle on the front of the shin, um, because you just develop that muscle much more than you would in, in with running. Okay. So 50k is the distance. I mean, Tim, when when you were regularly competing and going to five Olympic games, what was a, a? I mean, that's that's such an incredible distance. What was a usual training regimen for you, especially leading up to a big event? Uh, similar to, to, to what uh, Evan would have been doing to, uh, in the lead-up to um, to his race today, although he was probably going a little faster than I was 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so total kilometers up to about 200 kilometers in a week. Um, that would consist of uh, probably one long walk of about 40 kilometers and then some shorter distance stuff, so 20Ks. Uh, and then more than once a day to make up that 200-kilometer distance. And then as part of that, you'd also be doing some faster, shorter training, so one-kilometer repeats where you go hard for a kilometer, then uh, back off for a minute or two, and then go hard for another kilometer and do that. Okay. Anywhere from 15 to 25 times. Nice. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> nice. You, you might think so, but no. When you're doing it, it's not. So well, no. Fair <laughs> enough. I, well, I, I meant I, I admire that, and, and, and as someone who very uh, slowly does some distance running, and I'm doing the half marathon on uh, Sunday, I, I admire Good people luck. who can actually, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, go longer distances and do it much faster than I could ever dream of doing it. Tim Baird is joining us on Inside Sports, a former Olympic race walker. So today, Evan Dunphy. 
yeah. crosses the finish line fourth. Canada protests. He gets the bronze. Japan protests. He gets bumped back down to fourth. <laughs> People are asking me, why didn't they just deal with it all together? Uh, I mean, he, Evan was definitely bumped by the Japanese competitor, I think with about 2K left in the race. If I, yeah, if I remember. About a kilometer to but, go. Sorry, about 1K like, left oh, in the yeah. race. So what happened and why did the protests go this way, Tim? Well, my understanding, and obviously I wasn't there, so you know, this is from what I could see on, on the coverage on TV, um, is Evan went past the Japanese athlete with, as, as he said, with about a kilometer to go. Uh, got himself into third position, and the Japanese guy responded uh, and basically tried to come around him. But um, as Evan has, has said in a, in a statement subsequent to the, you know, to what's gone on today, um, if you haven't done a race like that, it's hard to understand what kind of fatigue you're in at 49 kilometers out of 50, uh, and and. Probably what happened was the Japanese guy, you know, tr tried to get around him, but was focused on Evan in order to pull him around because that you got to focus on something at that point when your body's kind of screaming at you in pain uh, on pretty much every stride. And he focused on Evan to get around him, and he focused too closely on him and, and bumped him on the way around. So from what I could tell, it it certainly didn't look like it was intentional to knock him off his stride. Uh, although that's what seemed to happen, if you if you've seen the video on sure, yeah, absolutely. On on any replays, it, it looked like he kind of bumped into him, and then Evan immediately kind of was knocked off his stride. Um, but at, at that point in the race, any kind of contact could have uh, could have done that to you know it could have been Evan, it could have been any of the athletes, and and had that contact been made earlier in the race, it probably wouldn't have resulted in any kind of. Uh -huh. um, controversy and it would have just it's just part of racing um and evan pretty much said that as after the fact he, he said you know um the way the appeals work is you, you initially make an appeal or your your team in this case athletics canada uh would have put an appeal at at the course to what would be the course referee normally in a track event be the track referee but because it was a uh, entirely on the road it would have been the track referee. They make a quick decision based on the evidence that they've uh, they they can either see or they've heard from officials on the course, um, and then at that point, that that's when you know we heard that Evan had been awarded the bronze, uh, and then the Japanese would have appealed that decision to the next level, which is the jury of appeal, which is a, a group of people that weren't necessarily. Um, watching the race as closely as the on the on the road officials, and uh, may have had to have been convened from other parts of the city, uh, which is why it may have taken a while. Oh. Um, and they would then review the video evidence and any other evidence that was brought to them, either by the Japanese or the Canadians, um, and then they'd make a decision based on you know what what they saw with with further kind of review that was available to them. Oh. Um, so it, it's kind of a two-stage process. There's the initial process, and it's and it's probably and it's probably happening right now at the track with the relay right. with the US. <laughs> well, it's 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 frustrating for fans, Tim, as a, and, and and you are one too as well. If you haven't been a competitor, to hear to hear, okay, this was how it finished. 
oh, okay, they had to protest and they changed their minds. Usually in right. most sports, then it's over, right? But I guess right. it's, it's a little different. It's, it's, it's the nature of track and field. There's this two-stage process. And that, actually, there is a third level. You know, people were asking, oh, can, can't Athletics Canada appeal the appeal? Right. <laughs> and technically, it could have been done, but that's a much more convoluted process. As to, that goes outside of the sport. Oh, wow. That then goes to the, what's called the Court of Arbitration of Sport, which is um, it's convened in the Olympic City every time you have an Olympics. They're generally based in Switzerland, and they're, they're, that's the body that's totally independent of um, the governing body of, of a particular sport. So that's that's the body that heard the appeal against um, the decision to ban the Russian Federation okay. from track and field. So it's it's kind of a another a complete different level of appeal, and th- and that can take you know anything up to a week to to hear. Um, but you know, Evan indicated that he 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 didn't want it to go that level he he thought the result was fair um and if he if it had then gone to that if it had then gone to that level and he'd ultimately been awarded the bronze he he would have felt like it it was a bit of a hollow victory oh i see um so i think he's satisfied with with the outcome from what i've from what i've heard um, and as he said earlier today, if anyone had said to him 24 hours ago, you're going to finish fourth at the Olympics, he'd have been pretty happy with that. So Okay. Uh, Tim, I'm going to just keep you for one more question because I got a question on the text line from Cole. I love the way he phrases it. He says, dude, how long does it take to walk 50 kilometers? <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what times are we looking at here for the world-class well, I athletes? Today, uh, I, I can't remember the exact seconds, but the, it was three hours and 41 minutes and about 40-something seconds. Okay. Just under 341.40, I think, that Evan did. And he was about 40-something seconds off the winning time. So it, it works out to about uh, roughly a three-hour marathon and then keeping going for another eight, eight kilometers. Jeez. And kilometers per hour, it's about 13 and a half to 14 kilometers an hour. Amazing stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, Tim, uh, that's cool. Are you still living in Edmonton, by the way? I am, yeah. Awesome, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we'll have to do this again because uh, oh, I enjoyed your perspective, yeah, and I'm sure uh, it doesn't take another four years to get race walking back on the uh, on the media map. Well, you know what, and that's and I was talking about that off the top of the show, and I, you know, I did the whole what should or shouldn't be uh, in the Olympics, and I and I irritated some equestrian fans because I'm not right. I'm not sure about the appeal of that, and uh, you know, some people said your sport maybe should be excluded. Oh, I'm sure they did. You've yeah, probably yeah. faced that. How, well, let me ask you, how how do how do you respond to that when people say I don't get the race walking? I, you know, if if we handed the Olympics over to Joe Edmontonian for a day, some of them would take race walking mm-hmm. out. How, how do you uh, respond to that? Well, it's, it's got a long tradition in the Olympics. It's been in since in the official Olympics since 1908. 1908. It was actually in the, um, the 1906 sort of into, I can never get the term. The one right. they don't the, count the, anymore. Yeah, yeah, the one they don't, they, they don't count. Um, and so it's had, it does have a very long tradition. And, it's, and, and as I pointed out earlier in the week, um, it is a sport that's practiced around the world. So even today, you've got the, the top four finishers were from four different continents. Um, the same thing happened in um, uh, in the twenty-kilometer race a week ago, where the you know the top top eight finishers were from five continents, I think. 
So it is a sport that's practiced widely around the world. Just because it's not in North America that isn't isn't a reason to, you know, question its international existence. I don't, I don't think so. Um, there are there are plenty of sports that uh, that are practiced worldwide that uh, maybe North Americans aren't. Uh, um, fully conversant with, but uh, that, that's, I don't think, an excuse to, to remove them from the game. Right. Okay. Well, an, an interesting day, uh, a good fourth Absolutely. for Evan, and uh, uh, a medal in uh, show jumping, a medal in soccer, and obviously the medal on the track tonight, so a fun day for yeah. Canada. Tim, thanks a lot for checking in tonight, man. I really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thank you. That is Tim Barrett, Edmontonian, and uh, yeah, five-time Olympian in race walking. So there, there's the he he gave the detailed explanation, but basically there's a a, re, a race referee that Canada would have protested to, and then there would be a jury that Japan would have protested to, and they would have said uh, didn't affect the outcome. We're going to allow the Japanese runner to finish third as he crossed the line, and Evan Dunphy from Canada finishes fourth. Is that the right call in your mind? You can text six thirty six thirty. Phone number is 780-496-0063. Kellen, we have a request for some Cinderella. You're going to have to get me. Don't know what you got till it's gone. Coming back from break. All this right. is Inside Sports on Chet. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Hopefully you can take in the Eskimos game first or listen on 6.30 Ched while you're driving down. 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock kickoff, Esks at Argos. Uh, Toronto play-by-play voice Mike Hogan is going to join us in the next half hour of the show. Thanks to Tim Barrett for coming on to explain that race-walking ruling. And he also explained the lane violation ruling that was not called against Japan in the 4x1 relay. He says they usually don't call it on the straightaway. Uh, the United States disqualified for not passing the baton in the proper zone. So Canada gets a bronze. 21 medals now for Canada. Four gold, three silver, 14 bronze. Andre de Grasse, first Canadian sprinter ever to get three golds in one Olympics. Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Uh, I mentioned the uh, New York Rangers signing Jimmy VC, the Hobie Baker winner, the Calgary Flames, a seven-year contract extension with Sean Monahan, $44.1 million over those seven seasons. Man, surprise in the CFL, a blowout. Montreal ringing up Ottawa, 43-19. Kevin Glenn threw five touchdown passes. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. So here's a question now we can get into. Who carries the Canadian flag in the closing ceremonies? Who carries the Canadian flag in the closing ceremonies? Andre de Grasse got three medals in sprint. Penny Alexiak got... 
four medals in swimming, including a gold. Uh, Rosie McClennan carried it in the opening ceremonies, won a gold again. She repeated. Uh, Christine Sinclair, second straight bronze medal in women's soccer, the clearly the greatest soccer player in Canadian history. And unlike, I would say for Sinclair, unlikely to return for the next Olympic cycle. It was her 250th cap, by the way, today as a member of Team Canada. So, I mean, if it, it to, to me, Kellen, it's between, I'm trying to think if I've missed anybody here. To, to me, it's between Alexiak and Sinclair. Now, I know Sinclair didn't win a gold medal, but two Olympics in a row, bronze medal and uh to, to me the career outside of the olympic games figures in as well I, for a lot of people that wouldn't i get that but but alexiak got you know four medals but here's the thing alexia and maybe i shouldn't say this because injuries can happen people can drop off sometimes potential isn't achieved she's only 16 she's got a chance to do it again is this is this an appropriate farewell, Sinclair? If you let her carry the flag, I mean, two bronze medals in women's soccer is nothing to scoff at. And again, the team sport athletes can only win one medal per Olympics. I don't think there's a debate. I think uh, hands down it's Alexiak. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't even see why we're having a debate. It's the it's the best individual Olympic performance we have seen in, you know, 30 years. So, in the summer games, at least, because she's putting up like Cindy Clausen type numbers, and she's, you know, the arguably the greatest individual Winter Olympian we've ever produced, right? So, well, but it, okay, but again, individual performance. She got, she got two individual medals, one of them gold. DeGrasse got two individual medals, neither one gold, and she got two relay medals. And DeGrasse got a relay medal. I think you give it to Alexiak just because of the the, the importance of the medal then in, at that point. Like, her performance came out of nowhere. Well, same with DeGrasse, too. Well, I would, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I, would, I would pick Alexiak over DeGrasse. I would. For, for carrying the flag. I just think, uh, for, for me, there's a pretty strong argument for Sinclair. Just given what she has done, what she has meant to her sport. I mean, she scored again today, right? She's always there in all the big games. And, you know, you kind of say, well, you know, t- two medals, you were the best player on a medal-winning team in what I think is a pretty tough tournament to win. There's that. Yeah, there's, there's that uh, uh, logic as well. You know, and they did repeat the the performance they got at, at at London with the bronze. So they successfully defended the bronze, I guess, if you can put it in that. Yeah, well, they did. Yeah, I mean, you defending know. the yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, defending the bronze isn't really uh, no. worthy. Uh, I don't know. I I think they'll pick Alexiak. It's to me to me it's it's between those two. What were their other goals? So McLennan got the gold again. Uh, Weeb got the wrestling gold. Yes. Yeah. Alexiak got the gold. Which gold am I forgetting? I'm forgetting a gold now. Oh, Duran, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, is he a candidate? Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. He can only win one event. He can only win the high jump, and he cruised. And he's also now a two-time, like he has medals in different Olympics. 
it's, I, I understand. It's, it's hard to argue with Alexiak's four medals, but we've also been talking on this show for the past two weeks. Swimmers have more chances to win. So if you're really good at something, you can kind of find other events to accumulate medals in. Though obviously winning an Olympic medal is extremely difficult and extremely impressive. So I don't know. Uh, by the way, Bruce texted back. He says, uh, dang autocorrect. He's seeing Cinderella at the Deerfoot Inn in Calgary, not the Detroit Inn. I was kind of <laughs> wondering why there was a Detroit Inn in Calgary. I was like, I never heard of that one. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Okay. Uh, you can text 630-630 on Twitter. It is at Reed Wilkins. 780-496-0063 and uh, inside sports at 630ched.com is the email. Montreal beats Ottawa in the CFL 43-19. Kevin Glenn threw five touchdown passes late in the first quarter in Vancouver. The Stampeders lead the BC Lions 8-3. The baseball story tonight, the Blue Jays uh, oh, they lost in the bottom of the ninth. I hadn't checked yet. Uh, they blowed in the bottom of the ninth, so they lose 3-2 to the Cleveland Indians. Boston rings up Detroit 10-2. The Astros over the Orioles 15-8. So the Blue Jays still in first, only half a game up on the Red Sox. They remain one and a half up on uh, the Orioles. Got a couple of texts here on our topic. Uh, Peggy says Sinclair hands down. She very well might not be back next time. And uh, Ryan says Alexiak can uh, have the flag in the opening ceremonies in Tokyo. Now, again, that could be, I don't want to say a dangerous assumption. And uh, she's 16. But, I mean, you know, again, injury, drop. There's a lot of things that can happen in an athlete's career. You hope they don't. You hope she's back in, at her age. I mean, heck, who knows how long she could be back right. if, uh, if things keep going well. Um, so you, you take away... Maybe this is the only time she's ever going to win gold medals. Maybe she'll come back in 2020 and finish fifth in all her finals, right? You don't know. So do you give her that moment now? Do you give it to her in the opening ceremonies if she's back on the team? I don't know. Uh, one texter says, any news on whether Japan is DQ'd in the 4 by one for touching the line? They are not DQ'd. Uh, so what happened when Tim... No, Tim Barrett's a race walker, but clearly he knows athletics. And from everything I've seen on Twitter... They will let you get away with touching the line on the straightaway unless you interfere with somebody. But if you, if you go over the line or on the line on a turn, you'll be disqualified because you're, you're shortening the length of your race, even if it's by centimeters. But if you, if you commit a lane violation on the straightaway, you generally get away with it. America was not disqualified for a lane violation. They did not pass the baton in the zone allotted on the first exchange. So Japan stays silver, J Jamaica won, Canada got bumped up to the bronze. There's the story there. All right, we'll take a, a quick timeout. What's uh, life like for the Argos at uh, BMO Field? Mike Hogan will give us uh, the lowdown on that team's move when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
Should mention, by the way, the Canadian relay team tonight, a new Canadian record eclipsing the uh, 1996 gold medal winning team. So that's interesting as well. Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. We have the Esks and the Argos tomorrow, 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock kickoff. Morley and Dave will call it for you in Toronto on TSN Radio. It'll be called by Mike Hogan. Mike, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Always a pleasure to be on with you. I'm doing all right, I guess. Yeah, here, here we go. Uh, we're only a couple of weeks from the big Labor Day games, man. Where's the season going? Yeah, and where's the summer going? August seems like it is gone and hasn't even started yet. So, you know, there's the pro and the con because for the diehard CFLers, we know that it's, uh, it's uh, the second half of the season after Labor Day when everything kind of picks up a degree or 10. So that's good. But, uh, man, you know, you know, worse than we do up in northern Alberta, it gets cold pretty quick. So um, I, I don't do winters as well as I did when I was a younger man. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep the summer going, but let's have the second half of the season in this kind of weather. Now, are you southern Ontario born and bred? Yeah, I'm a good Kingston boy and everything. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll do that. And uh, pretty big weekend back home with the Tragically Hip concert. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bad night for an Argo game because there's part of me that wants to be there. Well, I was just going to say, you must have your day planned out. You call the uh, Argo game and then uh, you make it home to time to – are you going to be home in time to watch the concert? Or are you are you, are, are you a rare Kingstonite who's not a big hip fan or what? <laughs> no, it's, it's – I went to high school with them. I, play, I played football with three of them. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, yeah, so it's you know it's been a very bittersweet couple of months here since the uh, since the announcement about uh, Gordy Downey was made. It's uh, it, it hasn't been a fun time, but you know it's great to see everybody back on tour and and, and Gord looks pretty good uh, all things considered. And you know it's funny everybody is using this as a reunion back home uh, to get everybody together, but nobody has any tickets. Oh jeez, <laughs> I, I don't know one person in Kingston who has tickets to the show tomorrow night. <laughs> Um, all right, I got to ask you this: since you you have I knew them when story, okay. uh, I mean, yeah. did you have any inkling that they that they would have the drive and the talent to become what they have become when you knew them in high school? We used to see them in this little uh, little bar. They started. They, they, there were a couple of guys who were different incarnations of, of bands that kind of clicked with these guys uh, who had been in different bands. We used to see them in a bar called the Lakeview Manor, and it was uh, probably twelve of us. Right, we'd go down, and it was guys from high school, and. You know, we were barely old enough to drink beer, but would give it a go anyway. And um, they would be doing a lot of cover stuff. Like they, they still do the best version of Route 66 I had ever heard. It was perfect for Gord Downey, and I've, I haven't heard them play it since like 1984. Um, but they were fun. And to to say that, oh yeah, I knew that break and they'd be a big star. Hell no. Um, I was in a, I was working at a rock station in Ottawa when when. Uh, uh, sort of up to here in Road Apples were, were the big heads, and it was it, it was just this emergence that everybody was thrilled for, but nobody expected. So uh, the fact that they've become an iconic Canadian band still hasn't sunk in. I mean, I'll go to Kingston every once in a while, and I'll bump into one of them. Uh, my stepson played football against Robbie Baker's son, and you know we ended up seeing uh, the game on the field where Rob and I were teammates, and. Uh, it was it was a, it, it's a, it's it's fun to watch them you know evolve the way that they have, uh, but sad at the same time because uh, you know we're all hopeful that there is another tour that Gord is able to you know fool people long enough and the doctor said the cancer's coming back but has no timeline when and 
we're all hopeful it's 30 years, not 30 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Mike oh, Hogan. No, not a problem. Yeah, Mike Hogan joining us on uh, Inside Sports, play-by-play voice for the Argos on uh, TSN in Toronto. So uh, before I, I get into some nuts and bolts football stuff, I mean, I, I got to ask you about the move to BMO. There was a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I see the games on TV, and, and you know the – the Western attitude towards the Argos fan support or lack of it. I, I, I still see uh, a lot of empty seats at BMO. Yeah. What's what's really going on? What's the, your perception there? Well, there's, there's good and bad. And the good is the move has helped. Uh, it's helped in attitude. It's helped um, for people who have come to their first game in years. There's now an inkling to go back. It might not be every night, but they might get to a couple of games a year. The trick is to get them to go the first time. Um, Dave Naylor, my cohort on TSN, said said it perfectly when he said, if you're trying to convert somebody into an Argos fan, the worst thing you could do is take them to a live game at the Rogers Center. It was awful. There was no atmosphere in the place. The BMO experience is fun. They've got tailgates going. They've got a party going at a band shell before the game. Um, this week, the, the, the exhibition, the, you know, the CNE, the Canadian National Exhibition, big fair, is on around the building. So if you buy an Argo ticket, you get into the building for free along the the, uh, the, the grounds of the CNE. So there's more incentive. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a big crowd. Um, it's sad. You know, I, I, I love the Canadian Football League. I love the NFL. I love uh, CIS football. Uh, I wish it would work in Toronto. But for whatever reason, Toronto remains the only market in North America that live football doesn't work. And I don't get it. The NFL failed here. They had the International Bowl and the NCAA, the college series, and it didn't work here. I go to a CIS game, and, uh, you know, it's friends and family. For whatever reason, people want to stay at home and watch it on TV. Um, The late Jim Hunt, who worked at the Toronto Sun for years, uh, an old radio cohort of mine as well, said it perfectly about football and the CFL in Toronto. He said, in Toronto, the CFL is like pornography. Everybody watches it. Nobody admits it. So it's uh, <laughs> so it's like people. The numbers are good on television, but it doesn't translate into bums in the seats for whatever reason. And for a certain generation, it's almost cool to hate on the CFL, yeah. which I don't get at all. And I don't know how you turn that around. They're trying to do it with the party to make it seem like. Uh, uh, it's an NCAA event. Mike Copeland is the president and COO. It's his, it's his first year. He worked for the CFL for a long time. His family experience is, you know, the annual trip to Michigan to see the game at Ann Arbor. And that's kind of what he had he envisioned this becoming, where it's an all-ages thing, where if you want to go out and have a few beers with your buddies, you can do that. If you want to bring corporate guests there, you can do that. If you want to bring kids, you can do that. The people who have gone to the games have had a great time, even though the the on-field product, the Argos have been so much better on the road than at home, it's kind of odd. Uh, But the home games haven't been all that entertaining. But the people who have gone to a man, to a woman, uh, have said that they've had a good time and would go back. Now it's just trying to get them to live up and go back. And maybe a good five-game home winning streak would would be the cure-all to that. Yeah, well, it's interesting you said that, too, about live football because so often you know the the common thinking was and even and even some Toronto fans would say this would say well you know I'll, I'll go to an NFL game we got to try to get an NFL team we're a big time city we yeah. got we, we're in we're the only Canadian team in Major League Baseball we're the only Canadian team in the NBA we we deserve to be the only Canadian team in NFL but uh, I mean, yeah. you kind of mentioned you just don't don't think that would fly either right eh? I, I don't know. It probably would because people are willing to overpay for everything, although they wouldn't overpay to go and see the bills. I and mean, it's Toronto. You're used to overpaying for everything. Um, I, I assume it would work, but 
they're not coming here. I know for a fact the people on Fifth Avenue in New York at the NFL headquarters looked at the embarrassment in Toronto where they couldn't get 40,000 people to get out to a, a Seattle Seahawks game uh, against the Bills um, when the Seahawks were just that up-and-coming team with Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. They looked at that and said, this is failing. Toronto's down on the depth chart now. Uh, they're in Los Angeles, so that's kind of crossed off. I am convinced they would rather go to London uh, than, than, than come to Toronto. I don't think it's close um, wow. about going over there. So uh, Toronto, I don't know. I, I, I just I can't see a team coming here just because of the disaster of the, um, the, the Bills and Toronto series. It was. It was disastrous. There's a very bad taste in the NFL's mouth about Toronto right now. Um, you know, there are people who would uh, drive down to see an NCAA game as well and diss the CFL when 98% of the people on the field at a D1, a major D1 school could not play at that age for the Toronto Argonauts. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all, but that's the mindset that the Toronto Argonauts and the CFL is fighting in Toronto. It's stupid. I'll grant that, but that, it's a reality. And I just, boy, if I knew how to fix that, I'd buy the team. Right. <laughs> Well, we can all dream, right? Um, Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Mike Hogan joining us in Inside Sports. Okay, let's talk about what's going on on the field with this team. All right. Uh, what do you? What can you tell me? We, we, in Edmonton, we know a lot about Ricky Ray. We also know that yep. the Eskimos aren't going to be facing him. What can you tell me about Logan Kilgore? I know he's thrown tons of interceptions, but I'm guessing he's he's he's, he's better than that, and he's he's working to get better than that. Yeah, he threw. He, he made probably one forced error up in Ottawa, maybe three all night. He had a very good night in his first start last week. Not so much, although Milanovic at the media availability today broke down all five uh, and and kind of looked at those. And uh, he was unhappy with one, kind of unhappy with another one, and said three were just two were really good plays by the defender and one was a jump ball. So, um, you know, you look at it, and the number last week is five interceptions. The other one, for a guy in his second CFL start, 303 yards. So there's something there. Um, I know that the, the, the coaching staff, the teammates that I talked to on and off the record about Kilgore, uh, to a man, were very confident that he would get the job done. Uh, he's been up here. This is his third year. He came in at the end of 14, so he kind of got his feet wet um, on the practice roster. Last year, was able to look and learn and, and sort of take those mental reps behind Trevor Harris and, and Ricky when he was here, and was able to. Do, he's a sponge, so he's he's a very bright kid who kind of assimilated all of this stuff. He's got a very good arm. He's got a very easy throw. It's just, you know, getting experience. Not everybody is like Ricky Ray and can get dropped into Edmonton as a rookie and won a great cup. It's, it's you know, he was an, ab, uh, an abnormality that way. Uh, Kilgore is a guy who's going to be on a progression up, and, you know, you have to stub your toe every once in a while. And last week against Winnipeg, um, he's the guy that kicked the ottoman in front of the couch. And uh, are they confident he can bounce back? Sure, absolutely, but it, it's yet to be proven. It will also help. But he's got Kevin Elliott and Vidal Hazel coming back, two of the big receivers who came here last uh, last year. Last week, his receiving core was 5'9", 6 feet, 5'9", 5'10", and 5'8". Um, when it comes to blocking downfield, that doesn't help. So he gets a couple of big bodies in 6'3", Kevin Elliott, 6'3", Vidal Hazel, and coming back. And uh, there's experience in there that's going to help walk this rookie through the offense. So that's going to help for sure. So I, I don't expect, put it this way, I don't expect five more picks from Kilgore tomorrow. All right. Well, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, I mean, the Eskimos obviously uh, need one. They're trying to get back to 500, and uh, it's pretty tight in the East for the Argos. I mean, Ottawa's looking good, and uh, I, I, I have a feeling Hamilton uh, isn't going to 
finish under 500 like their record is now, given that Kalaros is back. But uh, yep. we'll watch those storylines. Mike, thanks so much for your time, man. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game. You too. Thanks so much for calling. Mike Hogan, play-by-play voice for the Argos. Uh, Ottawa didn't look good tonight. They lose 43-19 to Montreal. Calgary's up 11-3 on BC in the second quarter. Canada up to 21 medals in Rio. Bronze tonight in the men's 4x1 relay. 12.30 tomorrow, we'll sign on with the Eskimos game. Thanks for listening. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.